Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, December 11th, 2022 called, and he will be called Everlasting Father, given by Pastor Chris Simmons. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of Matthew chapter 7 verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Well, God's grace, mercy, and peace are yours through his Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So again, as we begin here, we're taking that title of Everlasting Father and really unpacking not just what that means um, in the Hebrew. We'll actually talk about that, but that term, Everlasting Father, we're going to Look at Jesus, and we're going to kind of, if you look at your outline in your program, we have two sections, Father as a, as a quality and Father as a function. So as we look at this, we'll see those perfect qualities in which, um, not just we would like in a Father, but in how Jesus fulfilled those, but then how those qualities then transition into the function of a Father. In fact, what Jesus does for us. And I mentioned this kind of a little bit in my intro. I said it was a vocation with backup that the, the function and that quality of Father, they're, they're, both, they're given to all of us as Christians. In one way, we fulfill them in one style or another, whether I'm actually a father to children, but you might notice that um, that would be weird because some of you are women and not men. That would be awkward. So you still are given these qualities in ways that you have to fulfill them, but not just as a parent, but as a friend and a, a fellow brother and sister in Christ. So keep that in mind as we go into this and we tell some of these stories, because as a father, the qualities that we're going to highlight, especially how Jesus fulfills them, is in how he provides, how he cares, and in fact, as a father, how he prays. And we see this in Philippians chapter 4, 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in the glory of Christ Jesus. So as we start with this, um, this first point, I want to talk to you about Father as a quality. I want to show you this picture. Isn't it nice? Everyone go, aw. Aw, my son did this for me. In the very beginning of the year, he's going through different letters of the alphabet here at uh, Grace Lutheran Preschool, so thank you very much. And you can see he colored um, the letter C because his name begins with the letter C. His name's Caleb, so he colored over here. And, well, if you can't really see the coloring, we're working on that. Uh, but he did know what the letter C was as he highlighted all of them. And he brought it home and he shows me, Daddy, look, look, the letter C. My name begins with the letter C. C for Caleb. And I look at him, I'm like, well, Caleb, did you know that you and Daddy share the first letter of our names together. My name begins with a C too. He goes, no. <laughs> Daddy, your name begins with a D. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I, I, okay, okay. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, but yeah, Caleb. And Caleb's looking at me right there. He's like, I remember this. And I'm like, yeah, my name begins, Daddy begins with D, but my name is Chris. Uh, that's what other people call me. You get to call me Daddy, and so does one other person, uh, Lily, but uh, everyone else calls me Chris. My name, Chris, begins with the letter C. And he's like, no. And I'm like, yeah, my name is Chris, but you get to call me Daddy. And he goes, <laughs> Daddy Chris. <laughs> like that. And I'm like, yeah. So then, um, and he kind of continues this, and he just thinks it's fascinating. When you find out, and I don't know if this was you when you were a child ever like that, or if it's happened to you as a dad, vice versa, when you found out your parents' names weren't dad and mom. They, in fact, had names like Chris and Samantha. And now we have this present under the tree at home, and it's a star-shaped present, and it's, it's to Chris and Samantha. And uh, he looks, he's like, Chris, 
this present is for you. <laughs> you get, Chris gets to open this. And then he kind of, like a couple days ago, he kind of took to that and he thought it was funny. So he kept calling me Chris all day. And I, I looked to him, I'm like, I'm like, hey, Caleb. And he remembers this conversation. Caleb, you know, I'm not Chris to you. I'm, I'm dad. You get to call me daddy. And it's a gift because not everybody else gets to call me daddy, only you and your sister. And I had this moment of realization that to him I'm dad, even to others I'm Chris. And as I kind of backed away from it, you know, my friends call me Chris. And other people I know, acquaintances call me Chris. And I had this realization, to him I'm dad because I get to fulfill that role because as Chris, you know, it's a moment of weakness. I'll tell you this right now. There's at, when I'm Chris to somebody, normally that's not a person I'm going, I would die for. Um, I'd hate to sound insensitive that way. I would try, but I'd probably fail. Um, I wouldn't die for the people who call me Chris, but the ones who call me Dad, I would give my life for them. And in fact, there are moments where I don't realize that I do. When, when you're a new dad, it, like, you don't realize how much you really have to give up until that moment where you're like, man, I'm giving up a lot of my life right now for these kids. But man, I'd give it all. In those moments, I would die for the ones that call me Dad. And then I this moment of, Jesus being our everlasting Father. You know, when Jesus came here, you know, of course came, you know, we, we celebrate this time of Advent as he comes as a baby, but eventually grows into a man. But more than that, when he comes and he redeems us at that time on the cross and resurrects so we can again join him, he does that for his children. As a father that dies for those in his family, as a father that would die to give and provide for his children his very own life. So that section of providing that quality that Jesus has as our everlasting fathers, he provides us with everlasting life by giving his very own. And as we go to the next section, uh, caring, right? So these three qualities, we have providing, we have caring. Um, so with caring, a story about that, when I was in high school, I say when I was a kid, I was in high school, um, my sophomore year, I played football for two years. Really liked it. Played defensive end. Uh, it, was, it was great. I got to hit people, and people didn't get to hit me. That's the best part of when you're in, on defense in football. And uh, going into varsity my junior year. But I got this, like, theater bug that bit me. And I'm like, I want to do theater. And I did a little bit as a sophomore. Then junior year, I auditioned for the fall play. It's Shakespeare. It's called As You Like It. And I got the lead role, the lead male role as Orlando. I'm like, Wow. I'm like, cool, I'm going to be in the play, and I, I got the lead. And my coaches are like, well, you don't have time for that. Um, you could choose. You're either going to be on football, or you could take the lead in the play. Well, the coaches and my dad thought I was going to pick football, and I didn't. I went with Shakespeare instead. <laughs> I know, ugh. right? So um, I decided to take the lead in the play, and, and when I did this, there, I had no anxiety about what my coaches thought of me or what my teachers were going to think of me or what my friends and my, my fellow teammates were going to think of me. I didn't worry about that at all. I had one anxiety, and it was this. What's my dad going to think? What's my dad going to think? Because when I was in football, my dad, he was a, you know, he's a very hard worker. I'm very proud of him. He was a factory worker, worked his way up through a factory. He's a lead man. You know, he'd work late, long hours to provide for us. But when I was on football, the one thing that he did that he never did at any other time is it was literally like moving the solar system to get him to take off of work and just because the way shifts were. But he would somehow do it because he would come to every football game that I had. Home or away, he would always make his way there. Sometimes he came in his factory clothes that were grubby, foot smelled like oil, his face was dirty, and he would come to my football games no matter where they were. And here I was giving up football 
so I could do Shakespeare. And I have to confess, my dad's not a Shakespeare kind of guy. And I told him what I was doing at the beginning of the year, and he was visually very disappointed. It was very easy to see that and just kind of said, okay. And with rehearsals for that and his work schedule for like the next two, three months, we didn't really talk. It was just the way things worked out. And it's no, no joke, the night, the opening night of the show, and I don't know if he's going to be there. I'm like, and I actually kind of assumed he wasn't. And I get out there on stage, and I deliver my first line, and I see in the back my dad in his factory clothes, still dirty, sitting right there in the back row to watch me. And in that moment, I'm like, oh, huge sigh of relief. But I went to this, and I, afterwards, it took me a while to realize I cared so much about what I thought he was going to think of me that I completely missed the care that he already provided for me. And every time after that, I did theater, I did dance, I did all this other stuff that wasn't football, and he came to everything. We're talking like into college, into when I did professional stuff, when Samantha and I were dancing. He came to every single one of these shows. I think during that that first play, I'm pretty sure I heard him snoring in the second half, which is fine. Uh, but I became too focused and I cared too much about what he thought of me as I, and that I missed how he actually cared for me. And we see that a lot today, don't we? I, I care too much about the perception of what people think of me that I miss out on the care that God has already provided for me. I care too much about it. It's not that I don't care about you guys. I do. But when I care too much about your perception of me, I forget about the value that I have in God's eyes already. Hear this in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? God cares for us so deeply, right? And in that same thing when I talked about, you know, my dad being there, God as our Father was there, came incarnate for us, present in Jesus Christ, growing to be a man to prove to us and tell us, I was there for you and I'm still there for you. and I'm there for you always. As, as I think about that quality, and I, I'm, I'm about to go into prayer Oftentimes, you know, that ministry of presence of people being there, I forget too easily how our everlasting Father and God is always present with me. And it brings me to that third quality, which is prayer. I have to confess, because I'm giving some of my personal experience, when I became a dad, I was like, woo, this is cool. And then I was in school uh, to become a pastor. Woo, this is cool. And here I am a pastor now, and I think it's still cool. Woo. Um, but I wasn't raised in a Christian home, so I, I encountered a couple of hiccups like on the path of things you just, you're ignorant of and didn't know. My kid pops out, pop, didn't pop out, it's a process, uh, but she, woof, my wife's sitting over there. I'm going to talk to this audience. Um, my child comes out, it's two months down the road, and I'm holding, I'm holding Lily and rocking her, and then someone comes up to me at church, they're like, oh, you know, pastor in training, great, wonderful, because I have kids too, and I got to know, well, what do you do for family devotions? What, what do you do to pray with, pray with your, your family or pray for your kids? What, what is it you do because I need help? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> I had this moment of, 
as a Christian dad, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know how to pray for my kids. I don't know how to pray for my child. I don't know how to, I barely know how to pray for others, I guess, at this point, now that I'm, I'm questioning myself that much. Not that you don't feel like, you do feel unprepared when your child arrives. And then, like, two months later, I thought I kind of had a rain on things. And then it took, like, three steps back as a Christian dad. I'm like, I don't know how to be a Christian dad. And what, what I realized that, that praying for my family wasn't, and, and you should realize yourself, whether you're a father or you're not a father, whether you're a friend, whether you, you have uh, parents that you, that you love or parents that, that you had a, a tough time with, when you start to pray for others, especially those you care about, those that have been in the hospital, those who you're separated from constantly and those that you want to protect, you go, oh, I kind of get it. Because then after those few months were up, we had to put Lily in uh, childcare because my wife worked full-time, I worked full-time. And I grew anxious constantly. Well, hold on, I'm, I'm not there. Well, hold, hold on, Samantha's not there. What if something happens? What if a child steps on her? What if they don't care for her the way that I care for my child? Which is, of course, not possible, right? Uh, what's going to happen to them when I'm not there? You know, when she was a newborn, I pulled the crib over to the couch, and I put her, um, my daughter in this crib that looked like a vast wasteland of, of sheets compared to, like, the little... Um, what a bassinet thing that they have at the hospital. And I got so nervous that I, I slept on the couch staring at her and thinking that I could do something. What was I going to do when I was asleep? Was I somehow going to wake up because I knew something was going to happen? Of course not. I wanted to think that. I wanted to think that I had some sort of control over the situation. When I've had friends in the hospital that have been hit by a car or they've been, they're suffering from cancer, I like to feel like I have some sort of control over the situation. But I realized when I started to pray, the great gift that I have an everlasting Father that is always alongside them. There's an everlasting Father that is always alongside, walking beside my children, keeping them safe, speaking into their ear, granting them faith, with my friend that's in the hospital, with the people that I can't protect, but I feel like I have to. I have an everlasting Father who's there. And if you've seen when I've done like corporate prayers up here, it's, almost, it, it's the thing that comes to me the most. Lord, make your presence known to them, because I know that you're already walking alongside them. I know that you're always alongside them. An everlasting Father, an eternal Father, you've always been alongside them. And this is kind of the part where you say you have to realize Jesus came to redeem all people. Whether it's effective is kind of a different thing. But even for those who don't believe in you, Lord, I know that you're still walking alongside of them, that you still love them enough to give your very own Son for their sake, and that you, Jesus, gave your very own life for them, and you walk alongside them. Just make your presence known to them. It's kind of a long section, but I'm going to read it anyway. If you want to write it down, it's John chapter 17. It's Jesus' high priestly prayer. Um, it's just a, it's a section of it. But when I realized Christ praying that for us as our eternal Father, it took a different light on for me. So hear it here, starting at verse 9. Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept your name, which you had given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except for the son of destruction, that Scripture may be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. This word is your truth. And as we go over those three qualities, that's the value that we get in God being our Father, right? One who provides, one who cares. And one who prays. And whether it's a relationship that we have with someone or the relationship we've had with our fathers and the failures that we experience with that, we have an everlasting father that overcomes all failures, that overcomes all issues, all all troubles. We have an everlasting father that when we feel alone in those moments where we're unsure that anyone cares for us, that he walks alongside us always. That is what it means when we have an everlasting father that that perseveres through all those issues, all those failures for all eternity. So we take those three qualities, and it gives us the second part of the sermon, which is this, the father of blank. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term, but to say that you're the father of something or the mother of something, it's like you've brought it into being, right? I'm the father of Lily, right? I've helped, I contributed whatever I did, right, into her being, into her existence. Um, When you hear this kind of when it comes to invention, you hear stuff like this. The, the Wright brothers, right? They're the father of the modern airplane, right? So they're the fathers of the fixed-wing aircraft. Uh, Nikolai Tesla is the father of the induction motor. Here I get to thank Dwight D. Eisenhower, who's considered the father of the American interstate highway system. Whenever I go back to Illinois, there's the Ike Eisenhower Expressway, and the traffic is always atrocious, so I have him to thank for that. Um, <laughs> We have Henry Ford, who's the father of the American auto industry, and Albert Einstein, the father of relativity. And I say father of a lot, but realize um, that that creation aspect or what we do and contribute to the world happens across all, not just people, but also all genders. We have the mother of modern nursing in Florence Nightingale. We have the mother, this one's great, the mother of nuclear silence, Marie Curie. And if you didn't know, she's the modern of uh, mother of nuclear science because she also realized that under radiation, that tumor cells, cancerous tumor cells, were killed faster than healthy cells were. So she's like the mother of radiation treatments. You have her to thank for that. And as we go over that, and you consider the mother of the father of something, my question to you is what are you the mother or father of? What have you produced? Or, to say it another way, What are you known for versus what you want to be known for? What are you known for versus what you want to be known for? And the underlying question is this, why is there such a big difference? Why is that gap so big between what you are known for and what you want to be known for? In Eastern tradition, you were considered um, the father of wisdom if what you produced, the quality in which you inhibited, was wisdom. If you gave wisdom to people, you were considered a father of wisdom. If you were considered foolish, you were called a father of folly. Because the quality of yourself, what you put out into the world, what you produced, was wisdom or folly. So you have that idea with a fixed-wing aircraft or kind of what you're known for and what you want to be known for. As we look at this phrase, everlasting father, in our, in our Bible from Isaiah chapter 9, right, verse 6, uh, Isaiah writes everlasting father, but when you translate that, the word in Hebrew, it's avion, what it really means is the father of eternity. So consider now Jesus, giving all, giving all these titles to Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, 
He's the father of eternity. Sure, maybe he was there at like the beginning of time. He helped create what eternity is. But think a level and a step deeper. Jesus is the father of eternity for you. He's the father of your eternity with him. He fathered an eternity in which you could be with him, that he would go ahead and prepare uh, a place for you in a house that has many rooms, that you indeed have eternity fathered for you in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's known for. He's known for our salvation for now, from then, for always, and indeed for all eternity. So let me ask you this question again. What are you known for versus what do you want to be known for? It's that time of year. I love Christmas movies. I'm, I'm a Christmas fanatic. I put my tree, I got to confess, I, I'm not asking for forgiveness. I'm just telling you how it is. That the first weekend in November, I put up my tree. Both of them. <laughs> That's right. And then it snowed, so it was my fault. Um, but first week in November, I put up both my trees. I love Christmas, and I love a Christmas carol, right? And one of my favorite versions of it, and if you don't know the story, like, I guess spoiler alert, but it's been out since like the 1800s, so tough. Uh, but a Christmas Carol, as you go through this, you know, the novella by Charles Dickens, and there's all these different movie versions of it. It's been done time and time and time again. Uh, we recently just watched the, the Scrooge version that's on Netflix, which ironically has some songs from my favorite version of A Christmas Carol, which is called Scrooge, and it's from 1970. And we had it on VHS tape growing up. And in that song, and, and as you go through it, you hear Scrooge's story, of course, Christmas past, present, but when it gets to the future, right, the Christmas yet to come, what Scrooge is really truly seeing is the legacy that he's leaving behind. He's seeing what he's put out into the world, what he's known for, and what effect that has on others. So as he gets to see these, these Christmases yet to come, they see, he sees people gathered around the entrance of his workplace, and there's a song. It's my favorite song, and you get to hear it. You're welcome. And it's, uh, I thank you very much. I thank you very much. That's the nicest thing anyone's ever done for me. And it's great. And, and everyone's dancing, they're cheering, and he's like, I must have been a good guy. He, he's fooled by, like, all these people are singing and dancing just because of me. Great. What he doesn't see is the guy that's singing and dancing is dancing on his casket. Uh, ooh, yeah. <laughs> dancing on his casket. And you get so many, and we were just, we were reflecting on this in between services. You get so many parallels for Christ here. The nicest thing you could do, the best thing you did for me is that you died for me. You, you canceled my debt. You gave me new life. But this isn't in the good Jesus way. This is in the bad Scrooge way. The best thing you ever did for me was die. That's what you put out into the world. And that's the alarming realization that he comes to. You know, and then you get poor tiny Tim. And all those instances. But, but Scrooge realizes, hold on, the, the legacy I leave behind is that without me, the world would be better off. Compared to Jesus' death, that that's, without me, the world would be way worse off. But I give my very own life to provide and care and pray and love my children to give them an inheritance, the legacy that I leave behind. I tell you this from a unique perspective. As a, as a pastor, you, you attend a lot of funerals. Whether you're in the audience and you're supporting a family, whether you're up here and you're giving the, the, the talk and you're comforting the family and you're part of the funeral. So I say this in a unique perspective. My favorite things to hear at a funeral are often stories of faith of great faith, pictures of baptisms, things of, 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 oh, you know, the way that he loved others and cared for his family. He had such a great relationship with Jesus that we saw it in the way that they lived. 
and the way that they acted and the way that they treated others. I love to hear that because I want to hear those things at my funeral. Not that if I could, I guess. If I could hear them, I want those things said at my funeral. I don't want people dancing on my casket because I'm dead. That the best thing, the legacy that I left behind was a world that was better without me. Or more so, I don't want my legacy to be in donations. I don't want it to be in a list of accomplishments that I've done. I don't want it to be on a plaque that is forgotten after 20 years. I want my legacy to be what Jesus says here in John 13, 34 through 35, when he says, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I, Jesus, our eternal Father, as I have loved you, you so also must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What I want to be known for, the legacy I'd like to leave behind is that I provided in the way that Christ provided for me. The qualities of my eternal Father and what He's given to me that I could somehow provide for others in a way. That as Jesus cared for me, walked alongside me always, showed me love, um, I'd like to show that same care and love to others as well. That's the legacy I want to leave behind, what I'm known for. The, the way that, that Jesus prayed for me and the relationship that I had with Him. Tearing of the temple curtain, that, that gift He gave to me, that, that I would be known for that too. We get these gifts here that we get to participate in. His very own body and blood given and shed for us, provided for us in care and in love so that we too could be with Him for this last point for all eternity. And that's where we get that phrase, He fathered eternity for us. Because remember, He's the Father of eternity, therefore He fathered eternity for us. When I say legacy left behind, you could take that and it's parallel to inheritance. Right? What I leave behind is the inheritance I leave to others. The inheritance I want to leave is one of provision, care, and love. The inheritance I want to leave behind is the same love that was given to me by Jesus Christ. The inheritance that he gifted to me, the faith that, that as a wonderful act on his behalf, he lets me be a vehicle in all of us to be a vehicle for others to share those same gifts of faith, providing, caring, and that of prayer. So as we close here, we look at, I have this quote that always just kind of caught me a little off guard, that our other religions have a faith built on a past relationship. We build our faith on a present relationship with Christ. We have an eternity that's been won for us by Jesus and an inheritance of eternal life and forgiveness that he gives to us. And I love that we're given this great gift that we could now then leave a legacy and share with others. So to our eternal Father who gave us this inheritance of gifts and eternal life that we participate in today in communion and also in our baptism and these wonderful sacraments, to that eternal Father who fathered us eternity, be Him the glory, now and forever. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org and make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.